welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Madison Central High School head baseball coach Patrick Roby. Madison Central went 34-2 and won the Class 6A Mississippi State Championship, ending the season ranked number one in the Baseball America poll. Coach Roby was honored with the NHSBCA Coach of the Year Award. Patrick competed collegiately at Jones County Junior College and Delta State. After playing independent ball, he started his coaching career at Delta State and East Central Community College. From there, he moved on to head coach at South Panola and Lafayette High School. He just finished his fifth season at the Madison Central program. In this episode, we cover a wide range of topics with Coach Roby's mentors, practice planning, field work, travel baseball, and how to handle coaching elite players. Let's welcome Coach Roby to the podcast. Here with Patrick Roby, head baseball coach, Madison Central High School in Mississippi. Ended the season ranked number one in Baseball America, NHS, BCA, Coach of the Year. Played at Jones County and Delta State. So, Coach, thanks for jumping on with me. Thank you so much. It's, it's, it's very much an honor. You know, what are your thoughts on being named NHS, BCA, Coach of the Year? Uh, you know, very humbled by it. I, I will say this, and, and I've made this statement to a lot of people. You know, you don't coaches don't get recognition. They certainly don't get national recognition without having great players um, and then having a great support staff to work alongside. And and I think some of it has to do with a, a high school program that's had um, sustained success, you know, for many years, um, you know, not. And I think that success extends well beyond or before my time here. I'm certainly thankful to be here and proud of the, the things that, that we've been able to accomplish and the things that our kids have been able to accomplish. But very humbled by it. Um, it's, it's certainly something I don't take for granted. And, and you've had a ton of players get recognition too, Ray Montgomery, one of them. But it looked like your team was loaded this year. Um, talk a little bit about dealing with some high-end prospects and, and how you dealt with that. Well, yes, and and, and again, we, we we certainly had some really good players. You mentioned Braden Montgomery, and there were you know Hunter Hunter Hines, a uh, big first baseman that's uh, that certainly really jumped on the scene the summer before his senior year, um, and some other guys. Um, you know, a junior lefty that's uh, an, an Auburn commit, Bo Bryans, and Renard Grace that really had a great 
summer before his senior year. And um, so those, you know, those good players, they really bring a lot of recognition because they're out on the perfect game circuit and they're out on the, you know, they're, they're doing all the summer events where um, a lot of different publications get a chance to see them. And then, you know, our high school program was kind of the beneficiary of that and, and having that recognition follow them into the spring season. Um, but, you know, for the most part, those guys were all about us. They were all about the team. And, and it was, you know, as a former player, I can't say that I had that much buzz around me by, by no stretch of the imagination. But I can say that our guys handled that attention and they handled that off the field extra stuff very, very well. And, and they were nothing but great teammates when it came to the clubhouse chemistry and, and, and just getting the job done for, for Madison Central. How were those guys as freshmen? Okay. Okay. Not great. You know, and, and, and that's a good question because this senior class was not a group that came in as ninth graders and you just said, wow, boy, they've got a chance to be special. Uh, and, and I think that goes back to just their commitment to themselves, their commitment to their development. Um, and, and our kids in our area, not just Madison Central, but in, in the, the surrounding schools, a lot of good baseball in our area. They have a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of private instructors, a lot of chances to get better. Um, you know, not just the, the, the time that we have them with our high school program, you know, these kids, they get a lot of, a lot of opportunities to develop in other aspects of their game uh, outside of our season. Um, maybe chasing rabbits a little bit right here, but, um, you know, they, they were just good teammates. They really were. How do you have it set up, you know, to, from the development piece, because not every kid's going to be good as a freshman. And, and that's a lot of years. You got a lot of years from freshman year to senior year. How are you helping those young kids develop right. to get them ready for varsity? Ryan, I've always had a, a, a history of, of maybe keeping more players than some coaches. I wouldn't say we keep more than everybody, but, you know, our, our roster grades 10 through 12 is going to be between 28 and 34, 35 guys even one year um, because, you know, we have a separate freshman team. Uh, Jerry Dupuy is our head coach of that. Uh, Jerry Dupuy, as we call him, is phenomenal. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's hard to beat. I'll put him up against anybody. How long has he been with you? He's been, he's been with me my, the whole time I've been at Madison Central. How many he years? Was our, this I just finished my fifth season, uh, sixth school year. Um, but Doopy was with um, – he's been at Madison Central, two coaches previous, uh, two coaches prior to me being here. He was our varsity pitching coach. And then when his son had a chance to go play college baseball, he stepped away from the varsity aspect to, to just concentrate on ninth grade where he would have a chance to have those weekends free to go see Cade play. So it's been good for him. But – I give him a lot of credit in the development of those ninth graders. He takes a lot of pride in it. And of course, our other coaches on staff, we spend as much time with that ninth grade group as we can because of, you know, it is so important. You have the same sign sequences all the way through. So your freshman, JV, varsity, same offensive signs, same defensive signs. Is it the same for all those? Or do you give guys autonomy to, to change things? Or is it the same for everybody? Very similar, Ryan. Um, you know, it, it may be a different indicator. Uh, it, you know, it. We we actually this year with our varsity guys, we went to the to the to the number system at times. Not all the time. But there was some. You know, we certainly had flexibility in how we gave those signs and the ability to to go from the cards to the 
uh, to the hand signals, a verbal, a body language sign, a lot of different ways to kind of mix things up. Um, but yeah, the, I think the biggest thing in any program is having consistency from your young, you know, your, your, your lower level programs to your varsity level. And, and I think that's a, uh, that's kind of a football mentality, I guess. And let's try to run the same offense seventh grade through the 12th grade. And, and that's one of those small things that maybe coaches don't think about. Uh, same thing at my high school. I was fortunate to play for Quentin Merkel at Memorial High School, Coach Don Mattingly. And it was the same. We had the same from freshman, JV to varsity. So, you know, it really wasn't – you didn't have any black, backlog there because it was like, okay, the practices are similar, so you kind of knew what to expect. And that's one of those small things. Talk about the Braves back when Mazzoni was there um, and Bobby Cox, their entire organization from rookie ball up to the big leagues, it was the same sign sequences for everybody. So I think it helped those guys transition a little bit. As they're going up levels, it helped them transition a little bit better. Yeah, I absolutely. I agree. And, 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 you know, as I was saying, it's what we do is very similar from our beginning players up to our varsity seniors. Uh, it's just like the classroom. It's building block. It's conceptual learning. You add to it a little bit each year. Um, you know, you're probably not teaching the, the ninth grader the exact same thing you're teaching the 10th grader um, completely. It's, you know, it's just like anything else. You, you, you crawl before you walk. Um, and it's just, um, but the maturation, the the development is fun. Seeing that piece, seeing those guys get a little better each year, because I, you know, I, there's a lot of guys, and I mentioned this earlier. Our ninth grade, these seniors, when they were freshmen, they were just a solid group. Nothing. Uh, yeah, there was two or three we looked at and said, "Hey, he's got a chance to be really special." But that thirteenth or fourteenth player on a fourteen-man roster in the ninth grade. He's he signed a junior college scholarship. He he saw significant innings on the mound because of that development, and that's a credit to I think to our coaching staff, but more so to to that young man for his um, dedication to get better. What do you feel like you do that helps your players the most? Get to know them. I, I know that's cliche, but gosh, you know we we hired a, a a new assistant coach yesterday, and and he's a young guy, and that was the biggest thing I told him is. You know, don't walk into a program trying to be super coach. Just get to know them because they're not going to respond to you too well until until they know that you care about them a little bit more than what's going on on the field. And, and I know you hear that on every podcast that you, you that you do probably, but it's so true. And I think as as young coaches, um, and, and you know, I was certainly certainly uh, guilty of this for so many years is. You know, you want them to know how much you you want to show those players how much you know, and that's really you know that's important. They're not going to buy into you if they don't feel like you understand what you're talking about. But uh, just get to know your kids and, and uh, try to spend time off the field with them. And um, how do you get around them away from the field? Well, you know, we're a we're a large school, but we're a small community, and so we we'll see them at church, we'll see them at the grocery store. We we try to you know spend time in the parking lot after practice, talking a little bit, hanging out in the locker room. I, I just um, – I don't want my players to be uncomfortable with me walking in the locker room. I want them to know I'm coming in the locker room to sit down and chat with them. I, I don't want them to feel like I'm coming in there to, to get on to them or, you know, hey, every time I tell Johnny to come meet me in my office after practice, I don't want them to get that nervous feeling. I want them to know that maybe I just want to check on them, see how things are going at home, uh, you know, see – 
just find out about the other parts, you know, the other aspects of their lives. We've got a lot of kids that play multiple sports here. And I think the biggest, you know, one thing that coaches can do is just be visible at those other events, whether it's show choir, whether it's basketball, football, um, you know, that means a lot to those young people, just seeing you in the stands, seeing you there cheering for them outside of your normal everyday communication on the baseball field. You talked about Braden a little bit, really good two-way player. How did you handle his workload? And, and was he was he doing that right away? Was he doing that as a freshman, pitching and, and playing the outfield right away as a freshman? Well, you know, Braden came into our program. He, he came to our baseball program in the 11th grade. Uh, I did know Braden as a young man. Like I said, small community. He was in, a, in another school not too far from here. Um, so I did know him as a younger uh, a younger player, but – I always remember him as a young as a young person, as a, a young man that was very focused on what he was doing. He worked extremely hard, whether it was I saw him at a, a local batting cage or out long tossing in his yard, you know, whatever. Um, but when he came into our program, you know, our pitching coach, um, who actually took a recently took a head job, Luke Hargett, he was very, very good at balancing that two-way player because we had quite a few of them. Um, and you know, you, you kind of gave Braden a roadmap and said, here, follow this. Uh, you, you make it your own. Here's a template. You make it your own and, and do what works best for you. Because Braden knew his body. He knew when he needed to feed that arm. He knew when he needed to back off of it a little bit. Um, and, you know, that's so, so much of that is individualized. Um, you know, we did – again, I feel like our pitching coach did an excellent job of instilling the prehab, the post-hab, and, and – just knowing what you need to do today versus, hey, I'm a little tender today. Let's back off a little bit or, or let's let's let it eat. Um, but he, you know, we never had to worry about Braden taking a day off, so to speak. He, he knew what he needed to do. Um, and, you know, maybe that if the outfielders are working on tandem relays today, he makes three throws instead of eight. Uh, he just – he knew when to back off. And um, Were you uh, tracking okay. volume specifically – I mean, was there? Were you keeping an Excel? Because that's how we did it at, at school. Is we would, especially for our pitchers, we would we would track volume. And I know they have modus sleeve now and and all that that tracks it. But we would specifically track it in an Excel. Were you guys keeping track specifically on? You said you had multiple two way guys. Are you keeping track specifically on workload? We we were. Um, you know, probably not as detailed as some people would, but but obviously. Uh, relief appearances, starting, you know, starting appearances on the mound, bullpens, how many bullpens per week and, and the amount of throws, amount of pitches they were throwing in the pen. And then we we balanced it with, um, you know, the practice load, how much they were throwing in the, you know, during their team segments or individual segments. And, Ryan, I will tell you this, I we did not have to be as detail-oriented in, in that aspect as some people because we rarely threw a kid, and this is – playoffs this is deep into the playoffs we rarely threw a kid over 80 pitches in a start because of the depth of our bullpen now that's a luxury I understand I understand I'm not naive to the fact that we had a um, a plethora of arms and we had a, a lot of depth that we could go to whereas some people probably had to manage that uh, data collection a little bit more than we did yeah how are you dealing with the, the pitch limits for you guys, I mean, it sounds like your depth's good, so it's not a huge deal. But how was that adjustment when the the pitch count stuff went in for the state? Um, 
well, I will say personally, I didn't have to worry about it all that much because of the the knowledge and the the detail oriented oriented focus of my pitching coach and and the other guys. But it, it's definitely something that we'll have to put a little more um, time and focus on this year because of of our numbers. We won't have the depth that that you know certainly we had this past year. But I think it's a lot of it just comes down to using good sense and what's best for that young man. You know, let's take care of him. He's, you know, maybe we don't win this game today, but we, we pull him at, at, at 55, 60 pitches in, in early March. That way he's able to sustain force and be out there on the bump in May and, and hopefully extend his career. Because I, I tell you, arm injuries are something that I take very personal. Um, I really do, and and I think the pitch counts, and they really help. I, I, I see a lot of the youth-level coaches. I've got a son that's 14 and, and coming into our program now and having been around his practices and his games for all these years. Most of the guys around here do a pretty good job of, of being – of using good judgment, using common sense to take care of the kids. Not all of them, but most of them do. <laughs> How involved were you with your 14-year-old um, along the way before? I mean, you're going to get – is this the first time you're, you're coaching him or have you coached him before? Yeah, th this is it. This is, the, this is the first time. You know, I, you know, certainly when he's seven, eight, nine years old, occasionally the, the coach would ask me to throw BP or hit ground – you know, hit bongos for him. <clears throat> but for the most part, I sat in the chair, <clears throat> sat outside the dugout and watched and, and, and was just – Tried to be a parent. My wife got on to me. She said, I'm overanalyzing everything and I'm just studying. And I, that, I get it. I get it. Um, but, you know, he, he, he will be on our ninth grade team. And, um, you know, this summer, I, I'll tell you this, last – you know, I coached him this summer with, with the uh, East Coast Sox, 14-year-old uh, team. And, and that was kind of, I guess, uh, an opportunity to get our, to get my feet wet in the dugout with him. And it was a lot of fun to see him just over there being a kid and, and just interacting with his teammates and uh, probably getting a little more loose than I'd like for him too, but but that's okay. I want him to, to just have a normal high school experience like everybody else. Um, and I've talked to a lot of coaches that have um, – that have kids that have played, you know, other high school coaches who have coached their kids and what kind of experience that was like, you know, what to do and what not to do. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I just know that with a coach's kid, everything's magnified. If he does great, well, he's the coach's kid. If he's not doing well, well, he's playing because he's the coach's kid. So I'm, I'm well aware of what's coming. Um, but I, I'm thankful for Joe Caruso and the East Coast Sox for, you know, asking me to jump on board this summer and get that opportunity to get my feet wet. How was it coaching travel ball? Man, I really enjoyed it. I, I'll tell you this, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, I was, I wouldn't say I was anti-travel ball, but I was, you know, in the back of my mind is why are these kids paying all this money and they're going, but boy, it's fun. They, they have a blast. And <clears throat> it's, is it about exposure for some of them? Yes. <clears throat> is it about, is it about development? It should be, you know, we, we hope they all have coaches that are developing them and they're not just there to, to draw a paycheck, but um, gosh, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it personally, but more importantly, I saw how much fun my, my child, and he's obviously he's played travel ball for years, but me jumping in there and, and actually making the lineup this year uh, was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Who inspired you to get into coaching? Boy, Man, I've got a tree. I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've got a family tree above me that that just, 
uh, I, I guess God puts everybody on, on earth for a certain purpose, and I don't think there's any question that he put me on earth to coach high school baseball. Um, uh, I was fortunate to, to play at Delta State for a Hall of Fame coach in Mike Kennison. Um, I've been in a deer camp since I was 15 years old with Hill Denson, ABCA Hall of Famer. Um, Scott Berry, Southern Miss head coach, and, and you know former Southern Miss head coach Corky Palmer, um, and you know those guys just getting around them at a young age, campfire talks, hearing them talk about players and recruiting and development. Uh, and I think another thing is my dad that that never pushed me to work hard, but always encouraged me to work hard. And he was always he was never too busy to play catch. He was never too busy to hit me ground balls and, and go to the batting cage. And that's kind of what, you know, when when my playing days were over, I knew I still wanted to compete. I knew I still wanted to be around the game. And then as, you know, like so many others, and like most of us that are, that are still coaching 20, 25 years into this thing, you, you, have, a, you have a chance to impact young people. You know, you talked about doing camps when you're in high school. Skip Burtman, Ron Polk, Hill Densons. I mean, how, how what'd you pick up from those high school camps from those guys? Gosh, the biggest thing I picked up was that how much room I had to grow. You know, I I grew up in a small town, and and I guess I was a pretty good player in my little small town, um, but but considered a sheltered small town, South Mississippi. Really didn't know what else was out there. Travel ball was not what it is now. So, you know, you played 15, 16-year-old, maybe you made all-stars, and then you you went and played some kids from 25 miles down the road. Well, going to camps gave me an opportunity to meet kids from Baton Rouge, from New Orleans, from Tennessee, from Alabama, from Georgia, all these other states. And, and I really had my eyes open to just how good baseball, and, and even at that time, how good baseball was in the South. Um, not to mention it's, you know, grown leaps and bounds since then. But it motivated me. It, it motivated me to to work harder because I realized that you know I was not to to have a chance to continue playing after high school. I wasn't just competing with the kids within a thirty mile radius. I was competing with guys across the country. Um, so you know that was the biggest thing I got from those camps. You talked about learning from Steve Clements, who's a soccer coach. So, um, I mean, what can a, a coach learn from other sports? Uh, relationships. I, I just know that, you know, he's a guy that was – he, he coached at Marine Community College, and that's where I got to know him when, when he was, you know, with us at, at, our, at our hunting camp from time to time. And then, of course, he moved off to Texas and has been very successful out there. You know, the biggest thing I learned, and I learned this from our soccer coach at Madison Central and, and, and working alongside some – highly successful high school football coaches, uh, South Panola High School, where I worked for several years, Lafayette County High School. It's just, it's coaching is coaching. It's, it's, you know, the X's and the O's are, you know, having a knowledge of what you're trying to get across to those kids. Obviously you've got to, you've got to do that. And you've got to be, you know, you know, I spent them. more time with the soccer coaches, the the women's and men's coaches, probably than anybody else, and the softball coaches. That's who I probably spent the most time with talking, just even just strategy, because I loved soccer. I played it growing up, so I, I spent more time with the soccer coaches. Yes. Plus, it, I, I think soccer is forward thinking on some of the training pieces too. Obviously, two different sports. 
Um, but there's some similarities, but I, I really liked talking to the soccer coaches just on the training piece of things. Right. Well, one thing we've done is, you know, gosh, is, you know, no doubt you have to be in phenomenal shape to play soccer um, is we've trained with our soccer team. And if, if nothing else, it breaks up the monotony of what you're doing every day. And, and just, you know, how you handle players, how you handle discipline, how you handle classroom and, and, and managing academics and uh, maybe an issue with a parent. How do you balance? And you just learn from everybody. I, I think that's that's so important to go along with the, the, the player development piece. Speaking of soccer, have you watched Ted Lasso yet? Have you no. seen the show? I'm just throwing this out to anybody that listens. If you haven't dove into Ted Lasso, the the Apple Plus show with Jason Sudeikis, it's awesome. He's a soccer coach, but he, he was a football coach from America, and then he goes to England and coaches in the Premier League. It's a it's a good watch if you haven't seen it. It's, I'll check it out. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's kind of new age coaching and and talking about relationships and how he's developing relationships. It's really good for for anybody that that wants to dive in on that. Let's get in some specific stuff here. Go over some some team offense stuff that you really like to do at practice. Okay. I, one of the things that we like to do a lot in a team setting, we, we try to practice as much as we can in team. And it may be, um, you know, offensive execution, you know, putting a live defense out there and, and you know, the, the you know, bunning in a, bunning in a cage setting. Uh, is great repetition is the mother of all skill. We all know that, but there's something about putting that young man in a in a live situation. All eyes are on him. You get it done or you don't. Um, and we like to do, you know, work our bunt defenses in a live setting as much as we can. Hit and run and run and hit execution. Um, you know, if you swing through it, the catcher's got an opportunity to make a play. So you're just accomplishing a lot of things at once. Um, you know, to say that that we don't spend a lot of times in the tunnels breaking down the swing, you know, we, we do. Um, unfortunately, with with the rain that we've had the last two springs, we've spent a lot of time in the tunnels. But um, our, our kids, they enjoy competing, and, and I just don't think there's any substitute for, for getting out there and, and, and working in, in a live situation as much as you can and having things scripted out. Uh, you know, this – you know, maybe you've got that one group of hitters that – uh, you know, they're, they're your speed type guys and they need to put a lot more emphasis on the drag bunt, the, you know, the base hit bunt execution. Um, and then you've got your guys that are, you know, maybe uh, the hit and run type guys, the back, the barrel control. And, and you put those, you make those guys focus a little bit more on, on, you know, hitting the ball on the ground up the middle of the other way. Um, is that your approach with hit and run with guys when you're talking about it, when you're teaching it? Um, you know, go over that. You know, are, are you having them change set up mechanics at all on hit and run, or are we just focused on the top part of the baseball to try to get it on the, the ground? The top part of the baseball, I, you know, we're, we, we give them three goals. Let's, let's hit the ball hard. Let's hit the ball hard on the ground. Let's hit the ball hard on the ground out of the middle. Um, and, 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 you know, that's those three things are, are for obvious reasons. But, um, you know, hit it where it's pitched. I, I just – the I think so many of our kids grow up hearing hit and run and sit on the ground the other way. So they take that middle end pitch and they try to spoon it and they end up hitting that routine fly ball to right that does nobody any good. I, I thought one of the things that helped our guys was we we focused on and we we talked about zones. So bottom one, two, three, middle, four, five, six, up top, seven, eight, nine. We wanted them focusing on hit and run and a ball, anticipating ball that maybe was going to be at their face. 
right. to make it a little bit easier to stay above the ball. And then everything right. else seemed a little bit easier for those guys. We felt like that was going to be the hardest pitch for them to have to get on the ground was that high and in pitch. So that's where they focused their eye levels to maybe help them get the ball on the ground hard a little bit easier. Well, I'm stealing that. I, I like <laughs> it that. did work. It's crazy. You talk about, you know, these are the finer things of the game and the teaching points, and, and you never know what's going to click for a player. That was one of the things that when we were talking about hit and run, that, hey, get your eye level up and in, made it a little bit easier to probably stay above the ball and, and get the ball where they wanted to because that was going to be the, the toughest pitch for them to handle. Yeah, that's a great concept. Well, are Swinging at everything, are you giving them the opportunity to leave the ball? If the ball's in the dirt, are you leaving it on the ground, or are you still trying yeah, to go after it? Yeah, we, we, we do. And, and, and you know, so much of that is, is, is you know, the, the guy behind the dish, the catcher. Uh, you know, we, we feel like the the vast majority of the catchers that we see, if the ball's in the dirt, we go, we've got an 85%, 90% chance of taking that bag. So we're going to take that pitch. Um and, and you know, having guys that could run, uh, that helped out. Obviously, on our on our hit and run, the break was you know maybe slightly later than a straight steal, as, as everybody else is. But no, we give them the flexibility to take that pitch and and, and let the guy steal the bag. Yeah, we, we treated hit and run and delay the, the same. They're seeing the ball to the plate. You know, those are right. the two times where you don't want to get picked off. So, you know, we, we would blend hit and run and delay in together just because, hey, these are the two times at first base you want to make sure that you see the ball going to the plate. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and another thing is we do put that put some of that responsibility on the run or run with your eyes up. Let's okay. keep your, you know, keep your head up, see the baseball, know where the baseball is at all times. And that that cures a lot of problems if they just do that. Hey, when you're doing those live segments, live pitcher out there, pitching machine, coach pitch, how are you attacking? Who, all who's of the above. On that? Okay, so you're doing all, all the above. All of the above. I, you know, we will not have the the amount of arms to go live as much in, in, in the next year or two. Uh, machine sometimes, uh, coach pitch sometimes. Um, if you're running a pitcher out there, it takes longer. It just does. So it, it a lot of that has to do with the amount of time you've got blocked off for practice for that day. Uh, if you're wanting more volume, higher reps, then the L screen with a coach or the machine is a good way to go. But that live arm, gosh, I think, you know, so many times in a practice session, the kids go it, they get in that auto swing mode because the coach doesn't throw many balls. If he's a, a decent BP pitcher, he's not throwing many balls. So they're in swing mode, hit, 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 hit. Well, if you get that live arm out there, it forces them to, hey, let's, you know, we're looking for a certain pitch in a certain location. You know, let's just don't auto swing to be auto swinging for the sake of the drill. It puts a little bit more focus on the on the uh, the execution side of it, I believe. You said you don't spend a ton of time on the the swing mechanics, but what are some of your basically your fundamentals of what you're talking about with swing mechanics with guys from hitting piece? Yeah, we 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 do give our guys a lot of flexibility in their setup. Um, but you know we believe in a in a few core principles that that every hitter uh, has to get into uh, body position wise. He needs to be athletic. You know I tell our guys if I'm trying to give you an ideal setup of how to set up in the box, get your feet shoulder width apart, jump straight up in the air as high as you can, and then when you land, 
that's a pretty good that's a pretty good indication of where you need to be to put your body in the in a in a position to be strong. That was my favorite uh, youth camp teaching for hitting, besides yes. trying to line the knuckles up. And I know I'll get killed for that about lining the knuckles up, but the the squat down and jump and, and your highest position, let's try yes. to get there. I loved that for the, the young kids. I thought it, it made sense to them and they could actually feel a good position. Right. Well, and you know, and as far as our hand positioning, if I had if I had an ideal hitter, um, we would want our hands right off the back shoulder with the, with the elbows relaxed, with the bat in the fingers. Uh, you know, I, I, there's probably coaches out there that hear that and say, oh, gosh, that's old school. Well, I believe in being able to control the barrel and having flexibility in the wrist and, and being able to keep that bat in the zone as long as we can. And um, my belief we, we is – We used to have players hammer nails. Yes, no, we we had a we had a railroad tie at James Madison. Chuck Bartlett was a really good hitting coach. He actually played at Mississippi State and hit in between Will Clark and Rafael Palmero. But that was yeah, one cool. of our hitting stations. Is behind the the turtle. We had railroad ties, and guys would hit ten penny nails and hammer ten penny nails into railroad ties. And I tried to bring it to Iowa with me, but Coach Dom shut it down because he, he was worried about a safety issue. <laughs> well, it's yeah, like, I was like, I don't know. This worked for our hitters at JMU. Maybe get sued nowadays. <laughs> you gotta yeah. put. Well, we 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 brought gloves. You know, we had work gloves for them. So that's how we got around with maybe they'd catch their fingers or not. We had they had to put work gloves on when they were hammering nails. Awesome. Well, just all small things. We we're talking about hitting tires the other day. You know, I used to hit into a tire that was attached to a pole. You know, we had that set up at, at Evansville uh, behind our practice dugout is we had a pole with a tire sit on it. So you'd hit into the tires again, feeling strong contact. I mean, there's some fancier ways to do that now, but some of those tried and true old things that we all used to yeah. do, I think, still help guys. Well, we, I remember. You know, just to piggyback what you said, at, at Delta State, we had some tires that we would hit. Um, didn't really understand the concept of what we were trying to accomplish at the time. But now, in modern times, we use driveline plyo balls. I think you're accomplishing the same thing. But we really we, – we, we started using the plyo balls last year. And, boy, we saw a big, big jump in the kids' ability to stay on the pitch middle away and drive it through that opposite field gap. Um, it's – you know, the old saying, you know, the I don't know, new school term, external cues, they see it. They, you know, hey, let's try to hit the ball the back corner of the net. And with those plyo balls, if you don't hit them well, you're not, you're not going to accomplish your goal. And you don't have to say a lot as a coach, uh, whether it's hitting off the tee or hitting, a, you know, a side toss or a little short overhand toss. They give you that really good feedback. Um, and, you know, it may not be but one or two short rounds a day or every other day, but. It's, I was going to ask you on value, how much are you mixing the plyo balls in? Well, each of our hitters this year, you know, ex, you know, maybe 20 hitters in the program, our top 13 or, you know, 12 or 13 guys would have a, a, a daily routine they were supposed to do pre-practice. Uh, and this daily routine may not be but 25 swings, but it's a, you know, an example, maybe a high tee, uh, maybe it's an oppo tee or, or plyo, you know, weighted plyo balls uh, to the inner half or the outer half, just, you know, Trying to try to individualize that as best we can because in a team setting, it's sometimes hard to uh, to get them as much individual attention as as they need or as you would want to do. But how know, high up are you having them with the T with the high T? Um, letter high, you know, we we would go letter high, and it, it just sometimes above that. It, it 
you know, I, I, to me, the, the hitters we had, to me, that was significant enough or that was uh, drastic enough. Just work the top of the letters and just build themselves, you know, getting above it and trying to work down and through the ball. Um, what's the goal for them? Ball flight? Are they When you're in the cage with them with high T, what's their focus? What are you having them focus on? Just, yeah, hands above the ball and just working down and through. And, yes, that's – Ryan, I had a coach – you know, years ago when I was still playing, the best drill he ever gave me was trying to hit a ball off the back of the net in the tunnels because it coaches you. It tells you so much. And I know that's that's elementary, but, man. tells you a lot about your swing. If you can repeat uh, that, if you can get the same ball flight over and over and over again, it's showing that you, you that you're repeating your swing. I mean, that the ball's going to tell you if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And I know there's a lot of people that are – and there's a lot of big league hitters that don't hit off the tee, and that's fine. Uh, those guys know what they need. There's no question about that. Um, but to me, with our guys, you know, we, we, we hit off the tee, you know, three or four days a week. It may not be but a couple of rounds, but groove the swing, groove the swing, groove the swing, and then, you know, get out there and go live, work off your machines, Um and compete. Uh, I think there's a there's a good balance there between building the swing and going out and getting that, you know, digging in that compete bone a little bit and and, and working at it. Are you tracking compete? I mean, talk about compete. So in practice, you know, in a competitive setting, how are you tracking competition? Yeah, we we do probably not as much as others, but we'll you know, there's times we'll turn that scoreboard on. Yep. Uh, and I love turning the scoreboard on in a coach pitch, L, you know, L screen scrimmage. Get the music playing. Get the manager up in the press box. And when we started doing that, man, we started seeing the production really go up. Yeah, you've got to add some of those extra things in so they can concentrate and focus a little bit more and makes the game easier. If it's loud in practice, it's going to be quiet in a game setting, you know, at times. So it just makes the games a little bit easier for you. Right. And another thing is in a, in a BP setting is, you know, if you've got, for example, four rounds of six and, you know, the goal is – you know, line drive, ground ball, the goal is runner at third, less than two. Uh, runner at second base, two outs. We're trying, you know, uh, you've got your name written on that dry erase board, and when your round's over, you're responsible for going over there and marking down your execution, your percentage, or four out of six, or five out of six, or in some cases, maybe one out of six, and all your buddies see it. All your peers see it. And that peer pressure is um, the biggest teacher, uh, in my opinion. And you and you post those results. Uh those guys, anytime they see a number or percentage on the wall in the locker room, they're fighting to get up there and see it. Um, yeah, we had an infield notebook too. So we would have guys track their infield execution during batting practice, and they would have to write down how many errors they made. And then this is when I was at JMU in Iowa. And if we didn't make – if they had to run a sprint for every error they made in BP, but if they didn't make any – if we didn't make any errors in a game, then I ran sprints after the game. So our, I like guys, our guys loved it because I, like I mean, I was involved with it. I think that's one of those things. I think you have to, to build that rapport with your players that, Hey, we're in this thing together. So they loved it that, you know what, they were hunting airless games. So they, cause they want to watch me run afterwards. Absolutely. I had a young man a couple of years ago that he just, he did, he was a good pitcher, but he was not that tough. And, and we were running a time mile and I said, okay. I said, if I run this time mile in under seven minutes, you better run a smile in under seven minutes. And I did. I, well, I say that. I was close. But I I proved a point that I could get in the trenches with them. Um, 
but yeah, the, the charting, anything you can chart and, and measure, golly, you can be as complicated with it as you want or as simple as you want. But um, I, I think players want to like, see improvement. They want to yeah. see if they're improving, if, if they're competitive. You know, if, yeah. if they have some drive, they want to see if they're improving. And so you can track all kinds of things, but they want to see it. They want to see if they're getting better. Gosh, and, and I, I want to give credit to, to this gentleman. I can't remember his name. Spoke at the ABCA two or three years ago. It was out in Dallas. Uh, I believe it was at James Madison, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yep. Uh, had a giant stopwatch and his, getting his times out of the box. Uh, Jake McKinney, was that right? Am I getting, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. He's, I, okay. I want to say he's with the Brewers now or the yes. Mariners. He was That's on the correct. college side, and I think he's on the pro side with somebody. Yeah, right. I thought that was one of the best things I saw that year was the the, the LED box stopwatch because yeah. you can use it for so many things. They're hard to find, had, though. They are hard yeah, to find. He had some great ideas for competitive, you know, building competition in your practice. And, you know, we, we did get a – quote unquote giant stopwatch not as big as the one he had but we do have one and you know infielders throwing across the infield you were you know we're fighting for a 4-0 a 4-1 whatever and uh, just having that stopwatch and um, pitchers bullpens for their their leg time I mean there's there's so many good things that you can use with it besides the running piece the pitchers piece so they can see their leg time is important also absolutely absolutely what are some other things teaching wise you feel like you do a good job with? I might be anything infield, outfield, catching, pitching. What are what are some other tips for some coaches listening that you feel like you do really well? Practice what happens the most. Uh, I think we, you know, we go to clinics, we listen to podcasts such as this, and, and we 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 try to learn and grow and, and pick up as much as we can, um, as we should. Um, but. On the high school level, what practice, you know, what happens the most? What happens the most? And I'll tell you what happens a lot that probably doesn't get worked on a lot is that is that little in between fly ball and foul territory. Uh, you know, you, you do your fly ball communication, but how many times do you see the first baseman have the little the little flare over his head and he hasn't practiced it? Uh, same thing with the third baseman, shortstop, left footer, you know, converging on that ball. Um, but you know, lots of ground balls with intent. You know, Ryan, you you and I alluded to that, the stopwatch, uh, charting errors, holding them accountable for that. It doesn't have to be a 30-minute fungo session. It can be a 15-minute fungo session or uh, you're, you're playing defense for, um, for two groups of BP and, and you're keeping chart of your progress. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for – for, for volume, but there's even more to be said for that intent in that volume or, or that short amount of time that you're putting into it. But, you know, we probably don't do more than anybody else. It's just the fact that we feel like we try to take a lot of pride in what we do. Um, we don't do – we don't have 10 bunk coverages. We have two bunk coverages, and we try to be really, really good at them instead of being okay at eight or 10 bunk coverages. Um you know, we have a handful of pickoff moves that we try to be really good at those pickoff moves instead of having, you know, a lot of them that we may do one time a year. Uh, we don't want to foul up rundowns. We want to be really good at that. You know, our first and third defense, we want to be really sound at that. Um, but that's where the live defensive piece comes in. And Spencer Allen, who, who just got out of coaching when he was at Creighton, we talked a lot about that where – 
you know, it, it's fine to work on those individual rundown pieces, but it happens organically in a game. So, you know, if you're in that that live offense defense portion, that's where you want your your runners to force issues and get into rundowns. So we're ha- so it happens mm-hmm. organically, just mm-hmm. like it happens in a game. I, I felt like we handled rundowns better when it was more in the flow of what we were doing rather than just, okay, hey, we're working on rundowns right now. And, and, and there's a time for that, especially beginning of the year when you're just getting back into it. But once they get it down, that's where you have to add that challenge piece in too yes. um, in the rundown setting. For We would do grade days. Uh, you know, We would line them up in a showcase setting. They'd get a point for the catch, and they'd get a point for an accurate throw, and that was all over the field. And that added in all eyes on me a little bit too, because every the whole team's watching, you know, and, and and they knew they were getting graded, so it felt like that added a little pressure on them where they did have to execute and focus on the catch and then focus on the throw. Also, those were I, I and again we'd post it too. I, I think anytime you can post it, it's going to be great. Yes, absolutely. I you know, and there's times when you know when we're doing when we are working on rundowns. We, we try not to start it all off with a pick off the first or a blown squeeze. We, you know, we'll maybe we put a coach or a player in the outfield and he throws into second and the guy takes two, you know, uh, a, a too aggressive, turn, an overly aggressive turn. Um, you know, maybe it's a, a, a big hop ground ball to short. He comes in, arm fakes the first, and then he looks and finds the guy at third taking a big turn and just try to make it as game-like as you can because like you said a minute ago rundowns happen so many different ways um and and you you know do the best to kind of recreate that um keeps it fresh keeps it game-like for sure you talked about running a mile do you do you exercise still i do i do not as much as i should but um uh, I, I try to take pride in it. My wife, she likes to work out she she runs a good bit and um uh, it, it kind of helps motivate me so I, I know this as a coach if you're not in shape uh, you'll feel it. You, know, you will feel it. And, and that's one thing I would encourage every coach to do is, is, is be as athletically fit as you can. And, you know, it, you know, everybody's, you know, and it doesn't have to be a lot. I, you know, no. it doesn't have, it, you can get a lot done 10 to 15 minutes. If you're just going out, stretching a little bit, do a dynamic warm up. I don't do a lot, but it's, it's consistent. And, uh, you know, over time, that small consistency, I think helps. Um, I did an orange theory class the other day, which I've never done just to kind of see what it was, but it was a 60 minute workout that I handled fine. Now I probably can't do that two or three days a week. I'll get beat up, but it was nice just to go in there to see that. Okay. Everything that I've been doing up to this point is, is I can go do a 60 minute if I need to. Well, if you don't, if you're not in shape, I think that, I think people see that and you know, you're, you're the way you present yourself professionally athletically um it it says a lot uh i throw bp every day so if i throw bp for two or three groups maybe even four at times uh that's that takes a toll especially in late may when it's hot and you know a few teams fortunate enough to still be playing and you go home well you still got to be a dad you still need to be a husband and and if you're totally wiped out from practice then you know you've, you've kind of put all your eggs in the wrong basket and you you need to go home and take care of the priorities that you're you know, God put you on this earth to do, uh, which is to be the leader of your house. Um, and I think, you know, just taking care of your body and taking care of your mind is, is something that's going to lead to a lot health, a lot healthier, happier life for sure. What are your keys to throwing good batting practice? Well, I was 
primarily an infielder growing up. And I think the arm arc, the arm action is what kind of helps me. Uh, boy, I, I laugh at guys that, that are on our staff that were pitchers and they, pitchers they really and struggle. Pitchers and outfielders have it toughest. Yeah. They, they have it toughest. I know. And I, I guess when I started out coaching, it was me and one other guy. And, you know, you just kind of have to learn. If you want to, you know, if you want your kids to have some success, you better learn how to throw good BP. And I would encourage any good coach, don't, you know, any, any, or any young coach, a few things, be able to throw good BP. Don't be afraid to pick up a weed eater, jump on the mower, get your hands dirty, and you will be a very valuable coach. We were just talking off air in the beginning about getting your, your field redone. Um, what are some, some maintenance tips for coaches listening in that you feel like help for your field? <laughs> Boy, a, a two gallon jug with some Primo or some kind of growth uh, regulator this time of year. Cause in the South that Bermuda grows like crazy. And we, you know, we, we all try to, you know, take a week or two here and there and go on vacation and spend some time with our family. But that grass does not take a vacation. It's growing. But, you know, that's one thing, that, and I got that from a, a junior college coach in our area is, you know, get your field good and edged out and then get you some Primo or some kind of growth regulator and, and hit those lips. Just spray those edges, and, and in a month you won't see as much of that run as, as you normally would. And, and, and that's, a, that's a big, you know, good thing that helped us. And don't ever, you just don't neglect your field. It, no, it doesn't have to look, it's not going to look as great in June, July, and August as it does in, in March, you know, March and April and May. But, you know, field work, it's, it's like shaving. You, you better do it on a regular basis or you're going to end up looking really, really bad. Well, and that's that, that it's the small things every day. You got to hit it for 10 to 15 minutes. What about washing out the lips? Do you do that? You hose out the lips ever? We do. Um, I love doing it. For me, that was Sunday home series Sunday afterwards. It was kind of a way to decompress the series. I would wash our lips out. Even at head head coach division one, I still did it. I would wash the lips out Sunday after we played. Good for you. We've got a kid that, you know, assigned at the end of each practice or game to take the backpack blower and blow the, 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 the clay back onto the, off the grass on the clay. But yeah, you know, a couple times a year, take that big hose, hook it up to that quick connect and, yeah, that's kind of one of those things that's like mowing grass. It's a decompression time and solve all the world's problems while that, while that water's coming out of hose. Um, so, yeah, that's, a, uh, that, that's certainly a good, a good maintenance tip. Um, we did get our, our, our outfield regraded last year, so we got all new irrigation, uh, drainage system that's second to none because, um, you know, the, the metro, the central Mississippi area right here where we are, the, the, the clay content, in the in the soil is is really really high um so that it's almost like a sponge and doesn't allow the water to move through real well so we had gotten to the point where um the drainage was getting pretty bad in the outfield and and our district was gracious enough to come in and redo that and and it drains really really well so we're tackling that infield clay right now guys we're 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 we got 48 tons we're putting on, and you know we're like most high schools. We're borrowing a skid steer and we're borrowing a dump trailer, and my guys are out there hitting it right right now as we speak. You aerate or overseed ever? Yeah, we we do. We certainly, um, well, we overseed with with perennial rye. Yes, in in the fall, um, we will top dress, 
Uh, we hey, how are they getting that in when you overseed? How, what are they using? Are they aerating or are they using a slit seeder? Have you seen a slit uh, seeder? We used to use a slit seeder at, at Western. It worked great. It had the yeah. di it had the metal discs, uh -huh. so it wasn't chewing it up too bad. It would just kind of it was almost like laying corn. Almost, it, I've is seen what it those. Is. We we don't use those. We 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 do use a drop spreader with our infield, a really nice drop spreader. We're we're fortunate we've got access to a a, a golf course. Um, close by and we've got connections with them that we can borrow their equipment. So it's really, you know, we're able to get good uniform uh, application of our seed and fertilizer when we, when we fertilize. Um, I used to steal divot mix from the, the golf course. They would give me divot mix. So that's what we would fill in. If the field got chewed up a little bit on the infield grass, we would use divot mix from the, from the golf course. Good idea. Good idea. Is it the red sand? Is it? Yeah, it had everything mixed in it. The stuff we would get had it had fertilizer, seed, sand. It had everything mixed in with it, so it helped. It helped those patchy areas come back a little bit easier at times. I'm making note to sell. You need so, to you need yeah. to huddle up with your golf course guy and and suck up to him and see if he can can get you taken care of on that. Nice. nice. Hey, do you, do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to set you back along the way that you look back now? One of the best things ever happened to you. Boy, I, I wish I'd put some thought into that. I think I'm constantly failing. I, I think there's things I fail at every day. Um, and, and gosh, you know, I told a young man yesterday that we were visiting with about possibly bringing on staff is that, you know, coaching it to me, it's like playing the guys that are still playing baseball at, at 20, 25 years old. They failed a lot. They, they learned how to handle that failure and, and coaches that are still coaching 18, 20, 25 years into it have failed a lot. And they've learned to accept that and keep moving forward. Um, you know, early on, I don't think I would have been a lot of fun to play for. I think it was, you're going to do it this way. I was a pretty good player growing up, so you should be too. This, you know, what what concept or what skill was easy for me should be easy for you. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a parent tell me one time, and it was a dad that I respected very, very much, and he told me at about 28 years old, he said, Roby, that's what everybody calls me, he said, Roby, you're going to be a really good coach and you're going to win a lot of games, but you're going to die of a heart attack by the time you're 40 years old if you don't slow down. And I kind of laughed that off. But about two years later, I realized that, you know, listening twice as much as you speak and, and don't, don't talk and don't coach just because you feel like the players want to hear you coach. Um, speak when you need to speak. Listen when you need to listen. Uh, that was kind of a point – uh, that I remember, and it really made a big impact on my coaching career. Yeah, it's, um, I think that's hard when you first get into it. I think we all went through it, um, and, and that's a, a maturity thing. I mean, how long did it take you to kind of work through some of the failure piece? Because you're going to face it every day as a coach. You're going to face it every day as a player. What are some skills that you developed along the way to kind of help you get through the failure piece of things? Well, just – Understanding that when you get in the car, or the truck, and you're going home after practice or after the game, if you have to make two or three loops around your neighborhood to decompress, 
to get out of game mode and go into dad mode and go into husband mode, do it. You know, the, I've got a 10-minute drive to work now. Uh, my previous job at Lafayette County High School in Oxford, I had a 25-minute drive. So I had a little more time to decompress then. But, boy, you just got to do it. You, you've got to be able to let it go and understand that the mistakes the players make, the mistakes that you make as a coach are, are not intentional. Everybody wakes up each day um, – you know, nobody wakes up wanting to be miserable. Nobody wakes up wanting to fail. Um, but understand that, that we're certainly far from perfect and we're going to fail every single day. Um, and you just have to learn to accept it. You have to take a deep breath and decompress. It's like we tell those young men when they make an error, when they strike out, what's your release? Take a deep breath, focus on the foul pole, you know, pick out a spot on your bat and inhale, exhale. Um, Talk about focal points. How long have you used focal points? I think that's a great tip for coaches that maybe aren't having their players use focal points. And we did a lot with Brian Kane when I was at Iowa. So that's that the focal point yeah. got big and I felt like it helped. How long have you been using focal yeah, points? Boy, I, since I was at South Panola, I was fortunate to, to work with Brian Kane also. He he would come down a couple times a year and work with Ole Miss, Ole Miss baseball. And, and they were 20 minutes from me. And I drove over, you know, I lined it up with him and, and I drove over and, and picked him up from uh, Swayze Field, drove him back to Batesville. He spent a couple of hours with us and, and, you know, two hours is a crash course in what he can give, you know. He'll it sprint was, though. I mean, he's going to give it to you in two hours. He yeah. is. He's going to, he's, it, it might be two hours, but he's going to give you a sprint for two hours. He did. And he really brought it. And we, we took the, the, the you know, the thing that really, I remember the most is the red, red light, yellow light, yes. green light, uh, and, and the relating that to athletics. When things are great, you're in green light mode. When things are starting to speed up on you, you're yellow. It, you know, and then red, it's time to stop, take a step out, refocus. Um, and then we were able to to do some of that at Lafayette, which is in Oxford. So you know, two or three years later, we followed up with him, and, and um, you know that that stayed with me. I, I think that that. Um, you know, when, when guys get into trouble on the mound or in the batter's box, it's just typically because the game speeds up on them. You talked about the convention. You, do you have any good convention stories? <laughs> some I'll share. Some I won't share. <laughs> That's, um, I, I have friends and they're like, you need to do an ABC after hours convention, uh, just convention stories for after hours stories. Cause there's some great ones out there, but yeah. They, I'm going to share one. I'm going to share one that probably most young coaches can relate to at some point. My first ABCA convention was a grad assistant at Delta state. I wrote, we I rode to Chicago, Illinois, from Cleveland, Mississippi, with Mike Kennison and Christian Ostrander. Oss is now the associate head coach at Southern Miss. And we drive up to Chicago at night. We leave about 5 p.m., and it's a 10- or 12-hour drive. So we get up there, and um, I want to say it was the maybe the second night we were there, and, and there was there were two beds and a fold-out couch. Okay, Coach Kennison gets one bed. Coach Ostrander gets one bed. And here, me, the young buck, I got the fold-out couch. Well, I, like a lot of other young coaches, wanted to go out and experience the nightlife and go go look around and see the sights and the sounds of Chicago. And I came in about – it wasn't too late. It was probably 12.30, a.m. And they had taken all, all the sheets and the blankets and the pillows off of my fold-out couch. 
and here I was, 21 years old, too scared to say anything, and I froze on that fold-out couch um, while they rested well in their nice, warm beds. Um, well, anyway. we're back to Chicago again this year, so it'll, it should be great for everybody. It's a great, phenomenal setup. First time we've been to McCormick Place, it's going to be a, a great setup for everybody. Yes. Boy, it's it's those conventions are amazing. They re, they really are. You get to meet so many people and just you know, another story I remember was just, um, th I think this was in Nashville, was uh, Steve Jonigan was coaching at Baylor at the time. And just, you know, I was with some guys that knew him. And you know how that's how relationships are built. There's one guy knows this guy, and then you get to meet him. And, and we sat in a, in a vacant room in a hotel and talked catching for, for hours, late at night. And, and I just, you know, that everybody's got a story like that is, is, you know, the, the, the knowledge and the learning goes on so far after the, the 30 minute presentation on the, on the main stage. What are some final thoughts? Blessed to be here. You know, I, I tell you, you know, to, to think, you know, I've, I've been listening to these, to the, to the ABCA podcast, you know, when, when Sheets was doing it and now you're doing a phenomenal job with it um, to have the opportunity to be here and, and maybe share and, and, and give a, 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 a little, nugget of knowledge or two that somebody can learn from it's very very humbling to me uh very flattering to me and, and and i'm certainly appreciative of the opportunity to spend some time with you yeah thanks again patrick awesome thank you so much one of the things i love about this job is getting to meet new people and get their take on how to run an organization thanks again to coach roby for jumping on with me i want to wish everyone the best of luck as we head into the fall Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram, RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. <laughs>